Um, last week we had Mike Wolford here. I don't know if if everybody got to hear that. That was really awesome. Uh, it was it's awesome to hear that you know God isn't finished with us when we make mistakes, right? Isn't it awesome that that there's every morning is a, is a new day full of new opportunities to serve the Lord and follow him and do the things that are right, even if yesterday, first thing in the morning and all day long, you messed everything up, right? And that was an awesome testimony, an awesome message. Uh, for me personally, it's just an awesome reminder how, how long-suffering and patient and loving our Lord is, right? And, and he wants us to get up and walk with him, regardless of what has already happened. And so uh, that was really encouraging to me. It was challenging to me. Uh, the week before that, two weeks ago, we talked all about conflict resolution, right? And so what were the two things that caused conflict? Do you guys remember? Pride and, and lust, right? And so if pride and lust are the, the source of all contention and, and fighting, what was the solution? Jesus, humility and love, yes, <laughs> correct. Because Jesus is humility and love, right? Um, so yeah, so... so Afterwards, I, I was thinking, I was like, man, I feel like there's still just so much more to talk about in conflict resolution. There's just so much more um, things that I've learned and what not to do and you know, how maybe to fight fair and, and those type of things. Look, disagreements, if you have anybody in your life that you know and talk to on a regular basis, somewhere along the line you're going to disagree. That's just how it goes, right? You are the only one that agrees 100% with you. That's just it. All right, you're, you're on an island, and you're the only one that thinks exactly the way you do. It's not just Steve. Steve's not the only one just on an island. The rest of us have our own little islands, and, and I think my way. And, and some of you agree with some of what I think, but there's going to be something we disagree on, and that's just normal. That's just how we are. Uh, that's how God's made us. We see things differently. We have had different experiences and life has taught us to be, you know, I, I stay away from some things that are perfectly fine for somebody else to not have to worry about, right? There's, there's liberties and, and legalisms and all this stuff that mixes in to my view of what's right and wrong, all right? We ought to agree on, on what Scripture says, but there's a whole lot of people that disagree on that as well. But disagreement is not sin. Disagreement is not bad in relationships. It's just the starting point of some of those contentions, right? It's how you go about disagreeing, and when you take it to the next level, what happens there, right? That's when the contention happens. That's when the fighting happens. That's when we get ourselves into trouble and we say selfish things and we do prideful things, and, and, and that's where the problems come in. So uh, you know, most of the time, whether it's connected directly to pride or it's connected directly to some selfish lust or desire, the conflict comes because there's some sort of unfulfilled expectations, right? We go into relationships with expectations. You have them. It's just what happens. Because you see things the way you see them, you expect things will happen according to the way you believe they ought to happen. So my wife and I, for example, we, we both grew up in, in broken and messed up homes, right? My, I, I never, I've never known my dad. He was around for... Six months, maybe. All right, so I grew up in a home where mom was the boss. Mom did everything. Mom, you know, worked three jobs, all of this stuff. 
And so I have this view that mom's the boss. The woman in the relationship is the boss. And I come into our relationship, and, and I'm passive, and, and whatever she says goes. And, you know, when we first got married, you know, that sounds like a wonderful thing, ladies, right? You can just make up whatever you want, as you want, as you go, but, but that's not how God designed it. And so we started off with some disagreements on how things should go. She knew that I should be leading. I knew that I should be leading, but I had no clue how to do it. And so we, we, you know, we disagreed on those things, and, and some of those things caused a lot of contention early on. All right, and so what expectations do you have in the relationships in your life? It could be brothers and sisters. Again, this could be any relationship that you deal with. It could be roommates, right? It, anything that, that you run into disagreements, you're going to find that communicating your expectations, that's your first point, communicating your expectations is where we often find this pride coming to the surface or this, this lust coming to the surface. All right? And it's not, the, the lust thing is not always a sexual thing. All right? we, we hear the word lust, we think, man, that's just a sexual thing and that's why you do what you do. No, lust is just wanting to fulfill what I want. Right? It's, it's fulfilling what my body wants, not always in a sexual way, but it's what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I don't, I don't want to wait. I want, I want things my way. Right? That's lust. Right? And, and I want to be right. That's pride. I don't want to be recognized. That's pride. All right? So the, the first thing, and what we're going to see here is three things where we go wrong in communicating expectations and, and feeling that expectations have not been met. The first one is ignorance. The first thing we see is ignorance. And ignorance is simply not knowing something. It's not being stupid. It's, it's just being uninformed. And we see that in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. All right, here's these guys that are fishermen, they know that these fishermen haven't gone to school. They don't have a formal education. They shouldn't know what they know. These are ignorant men who have not been educated. That doesn't mean they're stupid men. It means they're, we assume they were uninformed, but somehow they know some stuff. Maybe it's because of the guy they were hanging out with. That they, they took notice that these guys were with Jesus. And we see it again in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Paul is talking about uh, the Jewish nation here, he's saying, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousnesses, uh, righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The, the early on in there, he says that they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They don't understand how it works. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. They're trying to, to work their way to God to satisfy God. They're trying to be setting up the, you know, this, this legalistic system to satisfy God. Because they're ignorant, they're uninformed about how this whole thing works. All right, so some examples of, of being ignorant and, you know, it causing trouble in your relationship. I mentioned roommates. Where's Hinkley? 
Alex is watching my kids, so I don't want to pick on these guys too bad. But you guys are roommates, right? You live over across the deal. So if, if you guys don't communicate uh, on who's going to pay what, you're going to get along well? You're gonna, you, <laughs> if, if you guys don't communicate on when, you're going to pay what? You're going to get along well? But if you just go into rooming up, you know, you, you're sharing the place, and you go in, and both of you have expectations, but they're not communicated, man, there's going to be some button heads pretty soon, or, or two guys without a place to stay, right? Because I assumed you were going to pay, you assumed I was going to pay, now we have no electricity, right? Let's fight about that, right? That, that's how those things happen, right? In, in marriage, there's, there's all kinds of expectations. I, I'd mentioned some of the things that Jenny and I started our marriage, you know, kind of we never talked about certain things. We didn't know they were things to talk about. We talked about, you know, how to raise kids and how to discipline and all those things. Um, and then when we had kids, that all transitioned as we went uh, because we thought we knew some stuff that we didn't know. And, th- and that was fine. But if you go in expecting that she's going to do all of something or I'm going to do all of something and, and it's never genuinely communicated, then we're going to be completely ignorant of what we need to do or what the other person expects. If, if I'm uninformed of, of what she expects me to do, and I don't do it, and then she's upset with me, who's to blame? Well, it could be both of us. Maybe it's something I should know to do, but I just don't. I'm, I'm just uninformed. Right? And that kind of stuff happens all the time. Acts 17.30 says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Right? God says, this is, this is God being long-suffering again. Okay, you, you were ignorant. You didn't know. You've now been informed, and now you're responsible. Right? Now is the time to answer for what you know for. It's, it's not okay to be ignorant anymore. You know, there's a saying, um, ignorance is no excuse for the law, right? So if you're, you're driving 50 in a 35, and you just didn't know, that it was a 35, and the, the cop pulls you over, and you say, man, officer, I, I really just didn't know. So, it, oh, well, shoot, I'm sorry. You didn't know. I, I won't write you a ticket then. I mean, I, I didn't know that you didn't know. So now we both know, and that'll be $70, right? I mean, that's just the way. The, ignorance is no excuse for the law. It, it doesn't exempt you. You might get lucky and get some grace there. You might, if it's a really nice guy and he, and he believes you. <laughs> but he's probably heard that all day long. All right, so some solutions. Solutions to, to solving the problem of ignorance that causes, you know, unfulfilled expectations. Uh, it's pretty obvious. Communicate, right? Talk about what you expect. If you're in a relationship with somebody, if it's just a friend and you end up button heads all the time, over the same things, maybe you ought to talk about that. Maybe you ought to say, hey, I would expect that as my friend, you would or would not act in a certain way. That's my expectations. All right? This conflict isn't caused by lust or pride necessarily. It's, it's, it's ignorance. It's, it's unknown. But you know what can escalate ignorance into a full-on battle real quick? Pride and lust. Right? If you can't just let somebody be informed and communicate with them and tell them how things ought to be, at least in your mind, 
you know, that thing can quickly escalate into an argument, can it? So, letter B is the second, the second way that uh, we have unfulfilled expectations. It's, it's unrealistic expectations. And man, people burn themselves out all of the time trying to meet expectations that are just too lofty. Right? Do you ever, you ever have a relationship with somebody where you feel like, you know, they're saying you're, you're walking on eggshells all the time? If I do the wrong thing, they're going to they're gonna go off on me. They're going to they're gonna walk away. Like, the expectations for this relationship to maintain this, it's, it's too hard. I'm going to fail. I, I know I'm going to fail. It's exhausting, right? This is what I thought a relationship with Christ was before I actually got saved. Right? I grew up in a, in a church that would, would have taught me that you can lose your salvation. You, you, you come to Christ, you give him your life, and if you mess up, man, you're out. And you've got to start all over again. And so that, man, that was exhausting to me as, as a young man, young boy, because I, I sinned and, and thought dumb things and selfish things all day long, every day. And I didn't know which one of those it was or all of those that it was that was going to make me lose my salvation. And so all day, every day, I'm asking for forgiveness all day, every day. And, and if you sin, you ought to, right? You, you ought to make that right. But those expectations weren't God's expectations. Those were unrealistic because they were untrue, right? That, that's, not, that's not even accurate. It's not biblical. Psalm 62, verse 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Amen. Man, are you, are you setting your expectations on people to satisfy you? Or are you setting your expectations for God to satisfy you? Are you following him are you following people? Are you looking for others to, to fulfill you? Then your expectations for them are incorrect. Psalm 146, verses uh, 3 through 7 says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. You're going to put your hope and confidence and, and expectations in somebody that when they die, all their thoughts go with them? That's not going to help you much, is it? Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Check this out. Check the qualifications of God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. It's never going to pass away. Which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. Right? He's setting prisoners free. He's feeding. He's, he's taken care of, and his truth and his promises endure forever. That's where we ought to be putting our expectations, right? That's the right place for them. Psalm 118, uh, verses 8 and 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So the answer is simple, right? God's never going to let you down. People, we do that. We let one another down. It happens. Right? Uh, Romans tells us that God is able to work all things for good to those that love him. Right? That doesn't mean we're going to enjoy everything that he's working to our good. It means he has an expected end 
of, of those things, and it's, and it's a good expectation. Right? He's going to work it to a good end, a good result. We just need to stick it out and trust him. Luke 3.15, And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused, or they thought in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. Here we see an unrealistic expectation of some people that thought John the Baptist might just be the Christ that they were looking for. Their unrealistic expectation is because they don't have accurate biblical understanding, right? We can put unrealistic expectations on people when we don't understand God's word. When we expect more out of somebody than God expects out of them, that's unrealistic. That's unfair. It's not right. And, and we, we need to correct that, right? All right, so maybe, maybe we need to ask ourselves, you know, why am I having a, a hard time with this individual, if, if you are? Have they failed your expectations? Do they even know what your expectations are? Are, are they ignorant of it? If they do know them, are they even possible to live up to? Would God agree with your expectations of others? Right? Are they expectations that God has placed, or did you, did you make them up? Are they higher than God's standards? Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. All right, we can take peace in knowing that if, if our expectations match the Lord's and, and we're putting our hope in him and our expectations in him, even when things get hot and difficult, he says we're still going to be bearing fruit. We're still going to be green trees, right? We're going to be healthy. We're going to be nourished. We're going to be in healthy relationships. Because when people let you down, it's just a difficult conversation. It's just a difficult thing to go through. God's never going to let you down. If you're putting all your hope and all your expectations in people and, and then they let you down, what happens? You fall down with them, right? If you're leaning on somebody else, expecting them to hold you up to be your everything, and they fall, so do you. And how do you get up from that? If you're leaning on God, well, he never falls. When everybody else falls, you're still held up by him. John 4, verses 7 through 18. This is a little bit of a long story. This is the woman at the well. It says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to, to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, excuse me, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. The, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, 
Whosoever drinketh of this water in the well shall thirst again. But whosoever drink, drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come, th- come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. So here's this story. Jesus is at the well. This Samaritan woman comes up. He asks her to give, get him some water. The whole thing goes on. He says, you should be asking me for water. You should be asking me for living water. Do you know who I am? Right? He's, he's evangelizing this lady. He's trying to let her know that he is the Christ. All right, and, and he's talking about this living water, and she says when she figures it out a little bit, she's like, okay, give, it, give, me, give me the water. I don't want to come back here anymore. Go get your husband. Right? He jumped, it looks like he jumped ship on this thing, doesn't it? What, what does the husband have to do with it? He's saying, where are you going to fulfill yourself, lady? I put all my hope in relationships. I'm on number six right now. That's, that's what he's bringing the point to, right? She's gone to that well over and over and over again. She's putting her expectations in men, and they're falling short, and they're letting her down. She's coming to the wrong well, right? He's not, he's not talking about the physical water. He is talking about the spiritual water, for sure, but he's also talking about those relationships. He's saying, if you come to me, a relationship with Jesus Christ through salvation, you'll never thirst. If you put your expectations on me, if you lean on me and all your hope is in me, none of those guys will ever let you down again. Can you imagine being number six? I mean, talk about walking on eggshells. Those first five guys couldn't figure it out. I don't. Maybe he's just as clueless as they are. Those have got to be some messy relationships. All right, so let her see. The third thing that, that messes up our expectations or gets us mess, messed up in our expectations and, and we feel that, that things are unfulfilled is, is negligence. All right, negligence is, is basically not doing what you know you're supposed to do. Not doing what is expected of you. Okay, and, and this is not ignorance. You do know what's expected of you, and, and you don't do it. So maybe, maybe you don't do it because you've said yes to too many things, and you just didn't have time. Maybe you don't do it because you're just selfish. Maybe you're just lazy. Maybe you just didn't feel like it, right? This is back to that, that lust thing. I just felt like doing what I felt like doing, and I didn't feel like fulfilling what was expected of me and what was rightfully expected of me. Galatians 5, uh, verses uh, 13 to 17 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. 
and these are contrary the one to the other. So you cannot do the things that you would. All right, he's saying, look, you, you have liberty. You have freedom in Christ. Don't claim your freedom in Christ as a way out of your responsibility to Christ. Right? To other Christians is what he's saying. Look, you have responsibilities to love one another, to, to take care of one another. Don't, don't say, well, I've got liberty. I just don't feel like doing that today. Right? We're supposed to sacrifice and love and care for each other. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on, the things, on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Right? This is fighting due to selfish ambition, vainglory, and strife. James 3, 14 through 16 it says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom descendeth not from above. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. I wonder why we can't get along, <laughs> right? Strife is, is that selfish ambition, right? Whether you want to do something that you want to do instead of something that is expected of you, or you want to do nothing in exchange for what you're supposed to do. That's selfish. Romans 2, verses 12 through 15 says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. This is kind of what we were talking about before. Ignorance is no excuse. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when, the, for when the Gentiles, who were outside of Jewish law, which have not the law, he says, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. How did they know to do right? Well, it was written inside of them. God gives us a conscience to begin with, right? Also bearing witness. And he finishes up and says, their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. What happens when you don't want to do what you're supposed to do? I make excuses and accusations. Because if I can turn somebody away from me and what I failed, then I don't have to feel as guilty, even though I'm still guilty of missing my expected, or, you know, known and, and rightful expectations. Have you, have you ever known someone that, that always has an excuse as to why they didn't do what was expected of them? That's just as exhausting as somebody who has lofty expectations. right? If, if I just always have a reason, I always have an excuse, it's always somebody else's fault, and I'm never to blame, and I just never take ownership of it, you know what I'm always going to have? I'm always going to have conflict. You know what I'm not going to have? I'm not going to have good friends. Because nobody, nobody wants that in their life. We've got to take ownership of those things, don't we? If you drop the ball, look, this is, this is definitely one, when Jenny and I have a disagreement, if it escalates to a conflict or whatever you want to call it, an argument, you know what I want to do every single time? Self-defense, man. I want to turn this thing away from me as fast as I possibly can, whether I turn it to her or I blame somebody else or make an excuse or... What I need to do is just own up to it. Yeah, I, I didn't do what I should have done. As a man, as a father, as whatever, as a husband. I need to just own up to it. So what happens? What happens when 
you're, you're in a relationship, whatever the relationship is, and, and there's no more ignorance because you've communicated. You, you've communicated and you've brought lofty expectations down to reasonable ones, accurate ones that match what God's word expects. And, and you have agreed, yes, these expectations are legit and, and this is what is expected of me and that's what's expected of you and somebody still lets you down. What do you do then? Man, you burn them? Just go after them then? Is, is, it, is, it, is it a free-for-all now? Because, look, we've covered all the expectations bases. Can we just unload on them now? Is, is that my, that's what I've been looking for. Right? I was looking for that when I first got saved, man. When can you fight? When can you put somebody in their, in their place finally? Uh, point number two for tonight, and, and uh, this, is, this is not easy, but this is absolutely what we're called to. Seeking reconciliation. All right, so if there's a disagreement, if, if, the, if the disagreement is healthy and, and fine, that's okay. You're, you're, you're allowed to disagree. It's no big deal. But if it's turned into a conflict, if you're fighting, man, our God is a God of reconciliation. Right? He's a God of peace. And he has brought, he sent his son to this earth to reconcile our lost souls back to himself. We see that in Ephesians 2, verse 16. It says that he might reconcile both unto God by one body by the cross, or in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. What he, what he slain there, what he slew there, was the, the separation, the division between us and him. He brought us back together with himself in a healthy relationship. One thing you need to know about reconciliation, reconciliation, point A, reconciliation takes two, right? It takes two parties to reconcile. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Okay, so he has reconciled, he has repaired the relationship with us by sending Christ here to die for us. Right? He's made a way for us to get back to him. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross. We sang, what was that song called? <laughs> a fountain filled with blood. What's, well, that sounds creepy. Until you see that it's, that it's us sinners plunged into that fountain. It's, it's the blood of Christ that saves us from our sins, that washes us clean. That's a, a beautiful message. Right? And, and he says, by the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. But it takes two, right? He, he made the first move by sending his son Christ made the first move by putting himself in a position to die for our sins. We need to make the second move, right? It takes two. John three sixteen and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right? What he did made a way for us to be saved but it requires that we respond, right? It says in uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that it's a free gift. How does a gift become yours? 
somebody hands it to you and you've got to take it, right? You've got to receive it. If you just stand there, it's not yours, is it? Right? If you never take the free gift, it's not yours. Romans 10, 9, and 10 shows us how we, how we can accept that gift. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a guarantee. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. you know how that works? Because he's already done the first part. It takes two. He did his part. He's waiting for us to respond. And most of us in this room have responded. We've asked him to be our Lord and Savior. We've trusted that what he did on the cross was enough. And we've called upon his name, and now we are reconciled to him. We've been brought back. So reconciliation, easy for me to say, reconciliation takes two. Letter B, forgiveness takes you. Reconciliation requires two people. Both sides of the party have to be in agreement to reconcile, to to come to peace. Forgiveness, on the other hand, only requires you. And what I mean is, is you alone are responsible to forgive someone whether they apologize or not. Did you know not forgiving someone is a sin? And that God's not okay with that? I mean, he's okay if it takes a little bit of time. He, he gets it. But it's not a process. It's a decision. Right? It may take you time to process how to make that decision. But it is a decision for you to make. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Why would he even tell us to forgive one another? It's almost like he knew we wouldn't get along. How do you know that? Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, I mean, who would do that? Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Right? So as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. What, what do we like to do? We like to say if somebody, if we're in a disagreement with somebody, you know what, if they come to me and they apologize, absolutely, I'm a good person, I will forgive them. That's not as Christ forgave, is it? Who took the first step? Was it you asking Christ to to die on the cross for your sins? Or did he already do it? He already made the first move, didn't he? So if we're going to forgive as Christ forgave us, then we've got to be willing to forgive whether somebody wants it or not. You may never have reconciliation, which requires both. But God requires forgiveness. And that's on you. Matthew 6, 12 through 15 says, and forgive us our debts. This is one of, one of the, the examples of a prayer from Christ. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. This next slide, Matthew 18, 21, supposed to be 21 and 22. I think just the, yeah, just the one verse. I'll read both verses. It says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I, mean, I, 
I don't know about you guys, I love Peter because Peter's the kid in class that asks the stupid questions that you want answers to, but you're not brave enough to ask them, right? That's the kid you want in your class. You don't want to necessarily be that kid, but you want to be in the class with that kid because you're going to learn some stuff. That was like, I don't know that my brother will ever listen to this, but my oldest brother, Dan, man, I learned a lot of stuff not to do from Dan. Thank you, Dan. (laughs) He did a lot of stuff, so I I would be around and watch. Oh, he got whooped for that one. That one's off the list, right? Peter's the kid in class that just asks those crazy questions. Lord, this guy's driving me nuts. Do I have to? What if I forgive him seven times? <laughs> seven times. Look how awesome I am that I'm willing to forgive this guy seven whole times after he's, you know, most of us, you know, it, it, we, we go with the baseball analogy and three strikes and you're out, right? That's, that's a good person. I at least gave you three strikes. And, and the Lord's answer is, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times. Peter's probably like, oh, it is three. It's three. (laughs) He says, but until 70 times seven. 490, Peter. Do the math. Uh, I I can't keep track of, that's the point. If you're keeping track, you're not forgiving. Right? If you're just waiting until I don't have to forgive anymore, have you even forgiven once? That's what he's saying, right? Forgiveness, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you can't trick God. Matthew 18, 35, later in that same chapter, he says, so likewise shall my Father, my heavenly Father, do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Right? Forgiveness is not an option. Not forgiving is a sin. God's not okay if you can't get over something because he got over everything for us. There wasn't one sin unforgiven for us. That's just how it works. Letter C. Reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness takes you. Letter C, it often takes, and this one doesn't rhyme, I'm sorry, It often takes divine intervention in order to reconcile. It takes divine intervention sometimes. And and this is the last one on our sheet, but this should be your first motive. This should be your first reaction. Anytime you have contention in your life, you ought to be talking to God about it. Right, Right away. You know, whoever whoever is, you know, you're butting heads with, Anytime you have conflict in your life, you ought to be taking that to the Lord. Romans 8, 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And sometimes you don't even know what to ask. God knows what to ask. Right? He, he can make up the difference. He wants your heart to pursue him. And he knows what's best. He's going to work all things for good. We saw that, or we talked about that earlier. And he's going to intercede on our behalf. He's going to speak on our behalf. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 
He said, Who, who's the one that has the power to condemn? It's that same guy that's up in heaven speaking on our behalf. Man, what a blessing. What an awesome truth that is. Shouldn't we be able to speak on somebody else's behalf that we should be in disagreement with, or that we're in disagreement with? Right? Why would he be condemning us? Because of sin in our life. But he's not. He's, he's speaking on our behalf. Why? Because of the blood of Christ in our life. He's making intercession instead of condemning us. But we disagree with somebody, and we get mad at them, and we want to fight with them, and we want to, if we're going to pray, we're going to pray that God straightens them out. And they finally see things our way, right? So how do we, how do, we do this for one another? James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You want to be reconciled? You want your relationships to be healed? You ought to be praying for that person you're in disagreement with. 1 Peter 5, 5-7 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. The things that you care about, the things that have your heart, ought to be cast upon him, for he careth for you. So are you throwing yourself humbly at God's feet when you're having contention? Are you, are you asking him to help resolve your conflicts? Are you coming humbly to him, or are you approaching him with a request to, to correct somebody else? Again, I've, I've done that. Are you asking God to change their heart or yours? Now, some people need their heart changed. I, I'm, not, I'm not denying that. Some people need to know the Lord, and, and maybe that's why you're in contention. Are you asking God to make them see your point, or are you asking God to help you see them the way he does? Because that's going to make a difference. If you see this situation the way God sees the situation, it may be just something he's called you to die in. Sorry, man, this is a tough one, and, and you just need to die to yourself, and I'll be glorified in that situation. You know, it's really difficult to be upset with somebody when you are seeking God for their benefit, whether they know him or not. Sometimes it's easier to get really, really frustrated with Christians who should know better but sometimes they don't seem to. But man, if you can see them the way God sees them, if, if you can have a heart for that person, if you can genuinely talk to God about that person's benefit, it's really hard to hold a grudge, isn't it? It's really hard to be bitter against somebody that, that you want God to bless, that maybe you're seeking to bless yourself. All right, so in conclusion... There are, there are some relationships that just shouldn't be in your life, and, and we're not talking about those tonight. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about what those might be and uh, how to know which relationships you should be in. We've spent the past several months on that. But just because you're in a right relationship doesn't mean that's a guarantee that you'll always agree. 
any relationship is pretty much a guarantee that you won't. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. It takes a lot of hard work to keep a relationship healthy. Does anybody know what the, the word husband actually means? A husbandman? Ben? It's a gardener. It's a farmer. Somebody who tills the soil. It's, it's kind of an interesting thought. Gardening is, you know, it's, it's an acquired taste for some. Some love it. Some hate it. Depends on the weather. Right? Depends on how many weeds. But it's a lot of work. It can be a lot of work. And if relationships are a lot like gardens, it's because you have to work, and you have to work things in the right order. You have to do things the right way. You have to be willing to put the work in, and you have to be ready to work when the garden or the relationship requires it. Right? You can't, you can't just set, you know, dig, dig your trenches, plant your seeds, walk away, and come back, and everything's done. Right? It, it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? And every day you go out there, it's, there's another weed. Man, where'd that come from? And you pick that weed, and most of the time you don't get the root, so it grows back. Right? Bitterness has roots. Expectations that are unmet often have roots. It's a lot of work. You stop caring about your relationships, and they're going to be choked out just like a garden would. Right? You stop taking care of those things and doing the hard work of communicating, the weeds are going to be everywhere. Right? There's a parable about the different soils that, that some seed fell on. And one of them, it, the seed fell on this good soil and, and the, the plant sprouted up, but so did all the weeds. And what happened to the good plant was that it got choked out by the cares of this world. And it, and it bared no, bore no fruit, right? It was unable to bear fruit. That's our relationships. If we're going to be good gardeners, good husbandmen, if we're going to have valuable relationships, it's going to take some work. It's going to take maintenance, regular maintenance, and care, and thoughtfulness, and integrity, and some tough conversations probably, right? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much as always, for your word and for just showing us what you expect out of us. Your expectations are absolutely realistic. Um, I pray that you help us to not be ignorant. I pray that we would be workmen and we would get into your word and understand what is expected of us. I pray that you would help us to understand what is exactly biblical that you expect of us so that we're not trying to be legalistic and, and wearing ourselves out on the wrong things. Lord, I pray that you would convict us to do what we know is expected of us and is a reasonable service. Lord, we love you. Uh, just pray that you'd help us in our relationships, help us to glorify you by the sacrifices we make, by the love that we share, and uh, by the opportunities that we have to, to give to others. We love you so much. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.